Episode 8 of Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill Decision The Master of Procrastination The Seventh Step Towards Riches Accurate analysis of over 25,000 men and women who had experienced failure disclosed the fact that lack of decision was near the head of the list of 30 major causes of failure. This is no mere statement of a theory, it is fact. Procrastination, the opposite of decision, is a common enemy which practically every man must conquer. You will have an opportunity to test your capacity to reach quick and definite decision when you finish reading this book. And are you ready to begin putting into actions the principle which it describes? Analysis of several hundreds people who had accumulated fortunes well beyond the million dollar mark disclosed the fact that every one of them had the habit of reaching decision promptly and of changing this decision, decision slowly if and when they were changed. People who fail to accumulate money without exception have the habits of reaching decision, if at all, very slowly and changing this decision quickly and often. One of Henry Ford's most outstanding qualities is his habit of reaching decision quickly and definitely and changing them slowly. This quality is so pronounced in Mr. Ford that it has given him the reputation of being obstinate. It was the quick quality which prompted Mr. Ford to continue to manufacture his famous Model T, the world's ugliest car. And when all of his advisors and many of the purchasers of the car were arguing him to change it, perhaps Mr. Ford delayed too long in making the change. But the other side of the story that Mr. Ford's firmness of decision yielded a huge fortune before the change in model became necessary. There is but little doubt that Mr. Ford's habit of definiteness of decision amuses the proportion of obstinacy. But this quality is preferable to slowness in reaching decision and quickness in changing them. The majority of people who fail to accumulate money sufficient for their needs are greatly easily influenced by the opinions of others. They permit the newspapers and the gossiping neighbors to do their thinking for them. Opinions are the cheapest commodity on earth. Everyone has a flock of opinions ready to be wished upon anyone who will accept them. If you are influenced by opinion when you reach this end, you will not succeed in any undertaking, much less in that of transmuting your own desire into money. If you are influenced by the opinions of others, you will have no desire of your own. Keep your own counsel. When you begin to put into practice the principles described here, by reaching your own decision and following them. Take no one into your confidence except the members of your master's mind group and be very sure in your selection of this group that you choose only those who will be in complete sympathy and harmony with your purpose. Close friends and relatives, while not meaning to do so, often handicaps one through opinions and sometimes through ridicule, which is meant to be humorous. Thousands of men and women carry inferiority complex with them all through life because some well-meaning but ignorant person destroy their confidence through opinions or ridicule. You have a brain and mind of your own. Use it. Reach it your own decisions. If you need facts or information from other people to enable you to reach a decision, as you probably will have in many instances, acquire these facts or secure the information you need quietly without disclosing your purpose. 
It is characteristic of people who have but a smattering or vendor of knowledge to try to give the impression that they have much knowledge. Such people generally do too much talking and too little listening. Keep your eyes and ears wide open and your ma- mouth closed. If you wish to acquire the habit of prompt decision, those who talk too much do little else. If you talk more than you listen, you not only deprive yourself of many opportunities to accumulate useful knowledge, but you also disclose your plans and purpose of people who will take great delight in defeating you because they envy you. Remember also that every time you open your mouth in the presence of person who have an abundance of knowledge who you display to that person, your exact stock of knowledge or lack of it, genuine wisdom is usually conspicuous through modesty and silence. Keep in mind the fact that every person with whom you associate is like yourself, seeking the opportunity to accumulate money. If you talk about your plans too freely, you may be surprised when you learn that some other person have beaten you to your goal by putting into actions ahead of it. The plans of which you have talked unwisely. Let one of your first decisions to be keep a close mouth and open ears and eyes. As a reminder to yourself to follow this advice, it will be helpful if you copy the following epigram in large letter and place it where you will see it today. Tell the world what you intend to do, but first show it. This is the equivalent of saying that deeds and not words are what most counts. Freedom or death on a decision. The value of decision depends upon the courage required to render them. The great decision which render, which serve as the foundation of civilization were reached by assuming great risks, which often meant the possibilities of death. Lincoln's decision to issue his famous proclamations of emancipation, eman- emancipation, which gave freedom to the colored people of the America, was rendered with full understanding that his act would turn thousands of friends and political supporters against him. He knew too that the carrying out of some proclamation would mean death to thousands of men on the battlefield. In the end, it cost Lincoln his life that required courage. Socrates' decision to drink up the cup of poison rather than compromise in his personal beliefs was a decision of courage. It turned time ahead a thousand years and gave to people then unborn the right to freedom of thoughts and of speech. The decision of Jen Robert E. Lee, when he came to the parting of a way with the Union and took up the cases of the South, was a decision of courage, for he well knew that it might cost him his own life, that it would surely cost the lives of others. But the greatest decision of all time, as far as any American citizen is concerned, was reached in Philadelphia, July 4, 1776. When 56 men signed their names to a document which they knew well would bring freedom to all Americans or leave every one of the 56 men hanging from a gallows. You have heard of his famous document, but you may not, but you may not have drawn from it the great lessons in personal achievements it is so plainly taught. Well, all remember the date of this momentous decision, but few of us realize what courage that decision required. We remembered our history as it was taught. We remember dates and all the names of the men who fought. We remember Willis Fork and Yorktown. We remember George Washington and Lord Cornwallis. But we know little of the real forces back of this name, dates and place. We know still less of the intangible power which ensured us freedom long before Washington's army reached Yorktown.
We read the history of the revolution and falsely imagined that George Washington was the father of our country, that it was he who won our freedom. While the truth is, Washington was only an accessory after the fact. Before victory for his army had been ensured long before Lord Cornwallis surrendered. This is not intended to rob Washington for any of the glory he so richly merited. Its purpose rather is to give greater attention to the astounding power that was the real cause of his victory. It is nothing short of the tragedy that the writers of the history have missed entirely even the slightest reference to the irresistible power which gave birth and freedom to the nation destined to set up new standard of the independence for all the people of the earth. I say it is a tragedy because it is the same self-same power which must be used by every individual who surmounts the difficulties of life and forces life to pay the price asked. Let us briefly review the events which gave birth to this power. The story begins with an incident in Boston, March 5, 1770. British British soldiers were patrolling the streets by their presence, openly threatening the citizens. The colonists resented armed men marching in the midst. They began to express their resentment openly, hurling stones as well as epithets at the marching stone until the commanding officer gave orders. Fixed bayonet charge. The battle was on. It resulted in the death and injury of many. The incident aroused such resentment that the provincial assembly, made up of prominent colonies, made a call a meeting for the purpose of taking definite action. Two of the members of the long assembly were John Hancock and Samuel Adams. Long live their names. They spoke of courageously and declared that a move must be made to eject all British soldiers from Boston. Remember this, a decision in the minds of two men might properly be called the beginning of the freedom which we of the United States now enjoy. Remember that the decisions of this man called for faith and courage because it was dangerous. Before the assembly adorned, Samuel Adams was appointed to call on the governor of the province Hutchinson and demanded the withdrawal of the British troops. The request was granted. The troops were removed from Boston. But the incident was not close. It had caused a situation destined to change the entire trend of civilization. Strange, is it not? How the great changes such as the American Revolution and the World War often have the beginnings in circumstances which seem unimportant. It is interestingly also to observe that this important change usually began in the form of definite decisions in the mind of a relatively small number of people. Few of us know the history of our country well enough to realize that John Hancock, Samuel Adams, and Richard Henry Lee of the province of Virginia were the real fathers of our country. Richard Henry Lee became an important factor in this story by reason of the fact that he and Samuel Adams communicated frequently by correspondence, sharing freely their free and their hopes concerning, concerning the welfare of the people of their province. From this practice, Adams convinced the idea that a mutual exchange of letters between the 13 colonies might help to bring about the coordination of efforts so badly needed in the connection with the situation of their problems. Two years after the clash with soldiers in Boston, March 72, Adams presented this idea to the assembly in the form of a motion that a correspondence committee be established among the colonies with definitely appointed correspondents in each colony. 
for the purpose of friendly cooperation for the betterment of the colonies of British America. Mark well this incident. It was the beginning of the organizations of the far-flung power destined to give freedom to you and to me. The mastermind had always already been organized. It consists of Adam, Lee, and Hancock. I tell you, Father, that if two of you agreed upon the art concerning anything for which you ask, it will come to you from my Father who is in heaven. The committee of correspondence was organized. Observe that this move provided the way for increasing the power of the mastermind by adding to it men from all the colonies. Take notice that these procedures constitute the first organized planning of the disgruntled colonies. In Union, there is a strength. The citizens of colonies had been waging this disorganized warfare against the British soldiers through incidents similar to the Boston Riot. But nothing of the benefit had been accomplished. Their individual grievances had not been consolidated under one master's mind. No group of individuals had put their heart, mind, soul, and bodies together in one definite decision to settle their difficulty with the British once and for all, until Adam, Hancock, and Lee got together. Meanwhile, the British were not idly. They too were doing some planning and masterminding on their own account, with the advantage of having back of them money and organized solidarity. Soldier solidarity. The Crown appointed Gage to supplant Hutchinson as the governor of Massachusetts. One of the new governor's first act was to send a messenger to call on Samuel Adams for the purpose of endeavoring to stop his opposition by fear. We can best understand the spirit of what happened by quoting the conversation between Cole Fenton, the messenger sent by Gag and Adams. Cole Fenton, I have been authorized by Governor Gage to assure you, Mr. Adams, that the governor has been empowered to conquer upon you such benefits as would be satisfactory, endeavor to win Adams by promise of bribes, upon the conditions that you engage to seize in an opposition to the measures of the government. It is the government's governor's advice to you, sir, not to incur the further displeasures of His Majesty. Your conduct has been such as make you liable to penalties of empty of Henry VIII by which persons can be sent to England for trial for treason or misprison for treason at the discretion of a governor of a province. But by changing your political course, you will not only receive great personal advantage, but you will make your peace with the king. Samuel Adam had the choice of two decisions. He could seize his oppositions and receive personal bribes, or he could continue and run the risk of being hanged. Clearly, the time had come when Adam was forced to reach instantly a decision which could have caused his life. The majority of men would have found it difficult to reach such a decision. The majority would have been sent back an evasive reply, but not Adams. He insisted upon Cole Fenton's word for honor that the colonel would deliver to the deliver to the governor the answers exactly as Adam could give it to him. Adam's answer. Then you may tell Governor Gage that I trust I have long since made my peace with the King of Kings. No personal consideration shall induce me to abandon the righteous cause of my country. Until Governor Gage, it is the advice of Samuel Adams to him, no longer to insult the feelings of an exasperated people. 
Comment as to the character of this man seems unnecessary. It must be obvious to all who read this astounding message that its sender possesses loyalty of the highest order. This is important. Racketers and dishonest politicians have prostituted the owner for which such men as Adam died. When Governor Gates received Adam's caustic reply, he flew into rage and issued a proclamation which read, I do hereby in His Majesty's name offer and promise his promise gracious pardon to all persons who shall forfeit lay down their arms and return to the duties of peaceably subjects, accepting only from the benefits of such pardon. Samuel Adams and John Hancock, whose offenses are too flatidious, flatty, flagitious, flagitious. Amen. My pronunciation sucks. Flagitious, a nature to admit of any other consideration but that of condemning punishment. As one might say, in order slang, Adam and Hancock were on the spot. The treat of the irate governor forced the two men to reach another decision, equally as dangerous. They hurriedly called a secret meeting of their staunchest followers. Here the mastermind began to take a momentum. After the meeting had been called to order, Adams locked the door, placed the key in his pocket, and informed all present that it was imperative that the Congress of the Colonists be organized, and that no man could leave the room until the decision for such Congress had been reached. Great excitement followed. Some weighed the possible consequence of such radicalism. One man feared. Some expressed grave doubt as to the wisdom of so definite a decision in defiance of the Crown. Locked in that door, locked in that room were two men, immune to fear, blind to the possibilities of failure. Hancock and Adams, through the influence of the mind, the other were indeed to agree that through the corresponding committee, arrangements should be made for meetings of First Continental Congress to be held in Philadelphia, September 5, 1774. Remember this date. It is more important than a July 4, 1776. If there had been no decision to hold on Continental Congress, there could have been no singing of the declarations of independence. Before the first meeting of new Congress, another leader in a different section of our country was deep in the throes of publishing a summary view of rights of British America. He was Thompson Jefferson of the province of the Virginia, whose relationship to Lord Dunmore, representatives of the Crown in Virginia, was as strained as the Hancock and Adam with their governor. Shortly after his famous rights was published, Jefferson was informed that he was subject to prosecution for high treason against His Majesty's government. Inspired by the treat, one of Jefferson's colleagues, Patrick Henry, boldly spoke his mind, concluding his remark with a sentence which shall remain forever a classic. If this be a treason, then make the most of it. It was such a man as those who, without power, without authority, without military strength, without money, said in the solemn considerations of the distinct of colonies, beginning at the opening of the first Continental Congress and continuing at interval for two years. Until on June 7, 1776, Richard Henry Lee arose, addressed the chair and to the startled assembly made this motion. Gentlemen, I make the motion that these united colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states, that they be absolved from all allegiance to the British crown, 
and that all political connections between them and the states of Great Britain is and ought to be totally dissolved. Lee's astounding motion was discussed frequently and at such length that he began to lose patience. Finally, after days of argument, he again took the floor and declared in a clear firm voice, Mr. President, we have discussed this issue for days. It is not only course for us to follow. Why then, sir, do we longer delay? Why still deliberate? Let this happy day give birth to an American public. Let her rise, not to devastate and to a conquer, but to reestablish the region of peace and of law. The eyes of Europe was fixed upon us. See demand of us living example of freedom that may exhibit a contrast in the felicity of the citizens to the very increasing tyranny. Before his motion was finally voted upon, Lee was called back to Virginia because of serious family illness. But before leaving, he placed his cast in the hand of his friend, Thomas Jefferson, who promised to fight until favorable actions was taken. Shortly thereafter, the president of the Congress, Hancock, appointed Jefferson as chairman of a committee to draw, upon, to draw up a declaration of independence. Long and hard, the committee labored on a document which could mean, when accepted by the Congress, that every man who signed it would be, sign, singing, would be signing his own debt warrant. Should the colonies lose in the fight with Great Britain, which was sure to follow? The document was drawn, and on Ju June 28, the original draft was read before the Congress. For several days, it was discussed, altered, and made ready. On July 4, 1776, Thomas Jefferson stood before the assembly and fearlessly read the most momentous decision ever placed upon paper. When in the course of human events, it is necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which when connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth, the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and nature's God entailed them. A decent respect to the opinions of mankind required that they should declare the cause which impelled them to the separation. When Jefferson finished, the document was voted upon, accepted, and signed by the 56 men. Everyone staking his own life upon his decision to write his name. By that decision came into existence a nation distinct to bring to mankind forever the privilege of making decision. By decision made it a similar spirit of fate, and only by such decision can men solve their personal problems and win for themselves high states of material and spiritual wealth. Let us not forget this. Analyze the event which led to the declaration of the independence and be convinced that this nation which now holds positions of commanding respects and power among all nations of the world was born of this decision created by mastermind consisting of 56 men not well the fact that there was the fact that it was their decision which ensured the success of washington's army because the spirit of their decision was in the heart of every soldier who fought with them and served as a spiritual power which recognized no such failure no such thing as failure not also with great personal benefits that the power which gave this nation its freedom is the self-same power that must be used by every individual who becomes self-determining. This power is made up of the principles described in this book. It will not be difficult to detect in the story of the Declaration of Independence, 
At least six of these principles desire, decision, faith, persistence, the mastermind, and the organized planning. Throughout this philosophy will be found the suggestion that thought hacked by a strong desire has a tendency to transmute itself into its physical equivalent. Before passing on, I wish to leave with you the suggestion that one may find in this story and in the story of organization of United States Steel Corporation. A perfect description of the method by which thought make this astounding transformation. In your search for the secret of method, do not look for a miracle because you will not find it. You will find only the eternal laws of nature. These laws are available to every person who has the faith and the courage to use them. They may be used to bring freedom to a nation or to accumulate riches. There is, cha- there is no charge save the time unnecessary to understand and appropriate them. Those who reach decision promptly and definitely know what they know one and ge- generally get it. The leaders in every walk of life decide quickly and firmly that is the major reason why they are leaders. The world has the habit of making rooms for the man whose words and actions show that he knows where he is going. Indecision is a habit which usually bring, begins in youth. The habit takes on permanently as the youth goes through the graded, graded school, high school, and even through college without definiteness of purpose. The major weakness of all education system is that they neither teach nor encourage the habit of definite decision. It would be beneficial if no college would permit the enrollment of any student unless and until the student declares his major purpose in matriculating. It would be of still greater benefit if every student who enters the graduate school were compelled to accept training in the habit of decision and forced to pass a satisfactory examination on this subject before being permitted to advance in the grades. The habit of indecision acquired because of the deficiencies of our school system goes with the student into the occupation he chooses. If, in fact, he chooses his occupation, generally the youth just out of the school seek any job that he could be found. He takes the first place he finds because he has fallen into the habit of indecision. 98 or 98 out of every 100 people working for wages today are in the position they hold because they lack the definiteness of decision to plan a definite position and the knowledge of how to choose an employer. Definiteness of decision always requires courage sometimes very great courage. The 56 men who signed the Declaration of Independence staked their lives on the decision to affix their signature to that document. The person who reaches a definite decision to procure the particular job and make life pay the price he asks does not stake his life on that decision. He stakes his economic freedom, financial independence, riches, desirable business, and professional positions are not within which of the person who neglect or refuse to expect, plant and demand these things. The person who desire riches in the same spirit that Samuel Adams desire freedom for the colonials. Ensure to accumulate wealth in the chapter on organized planning, you will find complete instruction for marketing every type of personal service. You will find and also detail you will find also detailed information on how to choose employer you prefer and the particular jobs you desire. This instruction will be of no value to you unless you definitely decide to organize them into a plan of action.